Well, hey, um, I hope you're excited. Um, maybe you're not necessarily excited about seeing online again, or, but what I hope you're excited about is the email that you received this week that we will be gathering back together in person on June 14th. I don't know about you, but I just can't even fathom what it's gonna be like to see you again and, and to be in the presence of one another. And you know, it's, it's so exciting as we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and we're, si- we're finally seeing what God has been teaching us come to fruition. And because I believe that that day we get back together, I don't know that there's gonna be a dry eye in the house, but, but it's, it's also encouraging that as we're entering into the, the backside of, what would you call it? They got all these fancy words, but I guess isolation or the, the backside of this lockdown that we've all been experiencing, but I think the official word is the quarantine. Um, you know, I wanna let you know for all of those, you have destroyed my self-esteem and, and my, um, I guess, yeah, just you've destroyed my self-esteem because of all of your social media posts. Because I know that what you've been experiencing in this quarantine time You've all been posting pictures on social media that makes your family look like a Hallmark card. That this has just been a great time for making memories. That this has just been a time where your family has grown, drawn so close together. And yeah, while I understand that has happened in some cases, that's not been the case in everybody's home. Because right now, if we're real honest, we've got moms that are ready to, to kill dads. We've got dads that are ready to kill moms. We've got kids that have absolutely despise one another. And so I have found a video that really more relates to where I'm at in quarantine and where probably most of you're at, but you're all too super spiritual to be honest about it. So I want you to see if you can relate um, with this guy that you're gonna see on this video right quick. So pay attention to the video we're gonna be showing. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B, B, B. Okay, so how many can you say, look, I know this is real awkward, there's nobody here, but I'm, I'm expecting you're really, really laughing right now. But if, for those who are a little slow, I had to show this video a few times the other day. So watch it one more time so that you get kind of the general idea of what this is about. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B, B, B. How many of us would be honest and say, hey, that's me? You can ask me to cut my right arm off. You can ask me to cut my foot off. But as long as it's not being quarantined again with my wife and kids. Look, I know that's kind of funny, but the truth is, is there's a lot of truth to that, okay? Um, But no, in all seriousness, I know that this time that things have looked different. It has been a special time for you to make memories um, with your families, with with your kids, with your spouse. Um, But I also know that, the, 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 the potential for there to be added stress and added, added anxiety in this season because of those same elements is also true. And so be encouraged this morning that, that again, God meets us right where we're at. Um, we're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter seven today. And I can honestly say that we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians now for seven to eight weeks. And I don't know that I've ever received as many text messages about this upcoming week saying, hey, what verses are you gonna be reading from? Where are you gonna be sharing from this week? Because I wanna know the specific verses. So I've kind of done you all a favor and, and the way the Lord led us is we're basically preaching the whole chapter seven, okay? But we, we, it's not 
as drastic as it sounds. We're not hitting everything, but we're going to be covering a lot this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And you know, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, on the surface, it appears that Paul is just against marriage, that Paul just despises marriage. But what we have to see is that is not necessarily the case here. No, Paul is not against marriage. But what Paul is going to make us all aware of is that there are some challenges, not just some, but there's a lot of challenges that come along with being married. Now, look, I know some of you probably shouted amen in your home right now, but listen, guys, keep your mouth shut today. Today is not the day that you wanna be shouting amen, but maybe you do, and wife, you have my permission to slap him upside the back of the head, but if you do, please let us know that in the comments. Just put smack or something, but men, please keep your mouth shut today. Don't be saying amen and shouting, all right? Let's just be quiet and just listen, okay? But Paul is going to address marriage and all of the challenges that come along with it, and what's interesting about this, if you know we've been looking at chapters one through six, and all of this has came from a, this, this, this book was prompted by a letter that Paul received, making him aware of sin that was taking place in the church. Many scholars believe that not only did, did the acknowledgement of the sin that was going on in the church was in this letter, but there was also some questions that were in this letter that some of the believers wanted to better understand. And, and some scholars believe that one of those questions sounded something like this. Are people more spiritual because they're not married? Are they more spiritual because they're not married? But what Paul is gonna help us understand today that yes, marriage has its challenges, but we also know that not being married has its challenges. So there's challenges no matter where you're at today. If you're married, there's challenges. And if you're not married, there's challenges. And so he mentions that challenge of not being married in verse nine. This is not necessarily where we're gonna be coming from today, but we're just sort of setting the stage for where we're headed. But in verse nine of chapter seven, Paul states that. He said, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you remember chapters one through six, the sin that has been brought to Paul's attention was the sin mainly of sexual immorality. If you remember several weeks back, we talked and it was, it was that a son had gotten with his father's wife. And so we see that there was some sexual immorality that was going on that the church knew about, but the church was doing nothing about it. So in Corinth, what we've seen is that that the culture there, they were slaves to their body. Um, they had no self-control. And so Paul wants them to understand, look, if you don't have self-control, if you can't control yourself, then by all means, get married. However, if you choose to get married, if you can't control yourself, if there is no self-control, what you must understand is that they're going to be challenges. And so we are gonna look at those challenges, but before we jump into the challenges of marriage, Paul sort of lays the groundwork and sets some parameters, if you would, for, for being married, um, kind of sets the guidelines for being married. And he addresses that in verse two of chapter seven. Paul says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Now, 
we see that what he's talking here and what he's speaking of is the holy institution of marriage that is for one man and is for one woman. And so what we see is that if you read back in chapter six, verse nine, is where Paul listed out a lot of of sexual sins that the people in Corinth were struggling with. But if you remember, he was comparing the unrighteous to the righteous. And if you remember back to last week, I believe it was, the righteous are the born again believers. It doesn't mean they're perfect, it just means they're forgiven. However, the unrighteous are for those who don't believe. But the problem was, is the righteous were still participating in the same sin as the unrighteous. And so the people were a little confused. They were saying, well, we hear them saying this, but we see them acting as if they're not saved. We see them participating in, in things that, that the lost people are participating in. And so what, what he's talking about here is there were believers, there were people in the Corinth church that were still struggling with sexual immorality. They were participating in the lifestyle of having multiple partners. They were being intimate outside of marriage. They were also cheating on spouses. Some were even participating in same-sex relationships. And so what Paul wants us to see in verse two is he says, but because of these immoralities, marriage is for one man and for one woman. And as a believer, if you struggle with any of that list, As a believer, if you are continuing to fall into temptation, by all means, you must get married instead of continuing to battle with with sin of the flesh. But then he goes on to verse three. Now look, man, I know this is probably where you've pulled out the popcorn and you're eating, you're just sitting there going, what's he gonna say about this one? Verse three, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now look, again, remember, they're all dealing with falling in to temptation when it becomes to their flesh. So what Paul wants you to understand, what he wants me to understand, our duty to our spouse is to be intimate. I don't have to go into all the detail, because I know we've got kids sitting on the couches with you. You may have kids sitting beside you. So we're not gonna go into the detail about what all that means, but spouse, it is our duty. It is your duty to satisfy the craving of your husband or the craving of your wife. But here's another little issue in this. Verse five, here's something he warns us against because at some point we've probably all used intimacy as a weapon rather than a gift. And here's what we're meaning. Verse five, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Remember, being intimate is to control that, that or being, having the ability because we can't control ourselves. That's what intimacy is for. It's so that we're not out of control. Now look, some of you are already going, okay, look, verse five basically is saying that that we're not to deprive our spouse of that unless we're fasting. So now I already see the wheels turning. Spouses, you're already going, you know what? (laughs) Next time I'm ready to go to sleep and husband kind of makes the move on me, I'm just gonna look at him and say, the Lord's laid it on my heart to go into a fast, aren't you? 
That's probably what you're gonna say, but that's not it. Remember, it is not to be used as a weapon. God has given it to us as a gift and it is a gift that we are to continue to give back. Now, man, that's the part where you don't say amen, all right? So, but what happens is there's so many times because marriage has its challenges, we use intimacy as a weapon rather than a gift. So make sure that we're not using a gift from God as a weapon, but that we are using it as the gift that he has given us. Because marriage is gonna have challenges. And so when those challenges come, put away the weapons. Meet your spouse where they're at. And Paul makes us aware of all of the challenges that are coming by something that he just simply comments in verse 28. Again, you don't have to flip there. I'll just read it. But at the end of verse 28, he says, yet such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. I'm just trying to make you aware of the challenges that are ahead of you. Look, following Christ is hard enough, but there's also gonna be challenges once we decide that we're gonna follow through and marry our spouse. So now he's gonna discuss the challenges. And the challenges are probably not gonna address all of the issues that you want us to talk about today because you've probably got your wish list of, of things you wish we would talk about today. But the main thing that it all falls back to, one of the biggest, if not the biggest problem in marriages is this. When couples, when a husband and a wife are in different places in their relationship with Christ. Verses 12 and 13 is one of those situations here. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, but to the rest I say, not to the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Now look, he's addressing the home of a, of a, of a believer and a non-believer. Now in the context of this passage, what we've got to make ourselves aware of is that you got to understand that these believers that he, that he is talking to, that he's writing to are Jewish converts. So in many cases, a husband and wife came together in marriage before either one of them had heard the gospel or before either one of them had responded to the gospel. So when they were married, they were both unbelievers. But through the teachings of Paul, through evangelism, whatever it may be, they have found their faith in Jesus Christ. One of them chose to follow Christ. The other one is choosing to continue to walk and practice Judaism. And so what we see here is this is how these two worlds have collided is this spouse may have chosen to follow Christ and this one has not. So I know that our context is a little bit different. There may be some of you that are watching this morning that you may be a believer, but your husband or your wife is not. And so I don't know what every situation is gonna be a little bit different, but after reading that and after thinking on those things, I believe that, that after reading those, I have a deep conviction that the instruction for both is the exact same, whether, whether you came to faith in Christ after you were married or if you were already married 
and you married someone who was not a believer. If you were already married and, and you had already given your life to Christ, but you chose to marry someone who have not surrendered their life to Christ. I believe that, that in verse 14, we can address it the very same way. Look at what verse 14 says. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Now listen, what that verse does not mean, it doesn't mean that wife, you're a believer, so therefore your husband automatically is, or husband, it doesn't mean that if you're a believer that your wife automatically is. What Paul is wanting to encourage a split home, if you would, what he's saying is, look, you cannot use this as an excuse to walk. You cannot use that as an excuse to bail out. What Paul is encouraging the believers to do is don't use it as an excuse to bail out. Use it as a platform to influence your spouse. Use it as a platform to share the truth with them. Use it as a platform to show them Christ by the way you love them, by the way you treat them. It's an opportunity for you to display the characteristics of who Christ is to you and who Christ is in you. And so if you're a believer and your spouse is not, what I wanna encourage you is the very thing, same thing that Paul is encouraging you to do. Love them where they're at. Pray for them where they're at. Serve them where they're at. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Look, I know that when we're meeting um, in person, I've prayed with, with multiple people in this very altar that are wrestling with their spouse not being a believer. I have seen and I've seen people shed tears, pour out their hearts because they want to see their spouse surrender their heart and their life to Christ. I wanna encourage you in a sense the way Paul is, don't give up, don't stop loving, don't stop praying, don't stop serving them because Christ has given you the platform that you have to show them who Christ is. There's a story that I want you to, to watch right quick on a screen in just a moment, but it's a couple that are, are members of our church here at Chestnut Mountain. And, and I remember the very first time I ever met them um, was out in the lobby on a Sunday morning. Um, this wife, she comes up and introduces herself as, my name is Stacy. This is my husband, Chuck, who's not a believer. Oh, okay. So that's when our journey began. We started praying for Chuck. We started sharing the gospel with Chuck. The wife continued to pray for Chuck. But I want you to watch the video as to see what God has done in this season of COVID-19. So pay attention to the screen and listen to their testimony. Hello, we're the Henzies. Um, I'm Chuck, this is Stacy. Married for 14 years and it has taken every bit of that to get, uh, get to the point where I've been saved. Um, my wife has been saved since she was a teenager, uh, baptized in 2009. So she's been working on me pretty hard for, for that long. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> I want to encourage everybody. Um, if you have an unbelieving spouse, the power of prayer, um, I had prayed first Peter chapter three and, um, the Lord had magnified that scripture in me in 2009 and um i didn't give up and i think that's the the goal here there's many times when um i wanted to give up and 
I thought I can't live with an unbeliever. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And the Lord reminded me I could do that through his strength. And, um, he gave me a love for Chuck that, um, I did not possess. And I could have only loved Chuck the way that the Lord had put into me, um, when he gave that to me. And, um, and it was a lot of, uh, sacrificing and, um, and I thought, Lord, you did this for me. Why are you not doing it for him? And at that moment, I had to realize I had to let Chuck go. I had to let Chuck um, go and in, into the Lord's hands. And that's when I had to have faith. And that's when my faith really ramped up. And I had to put my full trust in him to know that he was going to save Chuck because he wanted it more than I did. And praying all the time, day and night, all the time in my heart, the Lord knew my heart and knew my wants. And um, what well, prayer eventually sunk in. Um, it took me many years to even start talking to the Lord. Um, I mean, I had when I was saved. Uh, took many internal conversations with, uh, with myself and with God. Um, a lot of them, I was actually at work. I would, it was COVID-19. It was, uh, it was a mess and I had a lot of free time. So I took advantage of free time. So, uh, when I broke it to Stacy, it wasn't me telling Stacy. It was, it was actually in one of our group meetings. Brian called me out. I raised my hand and it, 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 it hit <laughs> you hard. It, it, it hit her hard. So, yeah. um, for those who are not saved yet, patience. It's it's the Lord's time, yeah, and yeah. Um, and don't give up, and keep loving, and um, love even through the hard stuff. Because um, this journey that we have been on, I mean, honest to God, God knew He could change Chuck overnight. But that's not what the Lord's plan was. His plan, he was needing to change me and how I treated my husband. And um, most of all, how I responded to him. Um, he began softening me on that. And um, But that time grew our family. Yes. So that was the main thing. It really helped our family grow. So those who are struggling, like I said, patience, stick to the Bible. Um, keep praying your day will come race the race yes so we love you church family god bless you all yes 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 we love you <laughs> have a great day well praise god it doesn't get um any better than that as far as i'm concerned um and the reason that we show that is because we want you to be encouraged Maybe you feel like throwing in the towel. Maybe you feel like giving up. I would encourage you to remind the testimony, be reminded of the testimony of Chuck and Stacy to not give up. You heard her. Keep loving. Keep serving. And yes, it's going to be sacrificial. There's going to be days you don't want to do it. But she was showing a Christ-like love that only he can show. Um, so let that encourage you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're still searching. You're like, well, Brian, I'm not married. I I'm not married. What I would encourage you is, we're not gonna have time to speak to it this morning, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul encourages you as a believer to pray and to search that believer, 
to be married to because if they're not, it's just gonna be added conflict and added weight um, into your home and into your marriage. Marriage is gonna be hard enough. The last thing we need are more difficulties. You know, looking at verses 25 through 31, um, we're not gonna read those, but, but it's, again, it's just Paul letting us know that, hey, there's tough times coming in marriage. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be conflict. And he's saying, if your marriage is not healthy, it's going to be that much harder. And I think if we ask you to all show your hands or, or whatever, however we respond this morning um, to this digital world, you would be saying, I want a healthier marriage. I want my marriage to be healthier. Maybe we're both believers, but our marriage is just not healthy. Brian, I want a healthy marriage. How in the world do we turn our marriage around? How do we make our marriage more healthier than it is now? Very simple. Your relationship with God has to trump everything else. Your relationship with God has to trump everything else. And yes, it has to trump your relationship with your spouse, but also their, your relationship with them must trump everything. Your relationship with the Lord has to trump all earthly relationships. Both of you both of you have got to have your focus on God even more so than each other. I know that we've all seen the, 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 the diagram, if you would, of maybe it was in marriage counseling or, or maybe it was in premarital counseling, but we've all seen the triangular diagram where God is the apex and, and you and your spouse are the two points at the bottom. And the visual that is here is that what point A and point B, if you would, what their duty is, is they're to be pursuing a relationship with God. And as both of them are pursuing the relationship with God, where they meet is in God. They meet in Christ. They meet at God, however you want to word it. But what we see is that their focus is vertically on him. And when we are focused vertically on him, we are going to find each other in him. But here's where the friction begins. Here's where the friction occurs. The problem occurs is when you have one who is, has their eyes vertically fixed on Christ, but while the other one is horizontally fixed on their spouse because they've lost focus. And what is so scary, even in that relationship, maybe you're the one who is pursuing after God, or maybe you're the one who's not necessarily pursuing after God, and your focus is horizontal on your spouse. Maybe you want them to treat you better. Maybe you want them to do this better. Maybe you want them to do that better. But ultimately, what we should all want us and our families and our spouses is we should want them pursuing after Christ harder than they ever have. But that takes us dying to ourselves because when we're not looking vertically at who the Lord is, when we're both not looking vertically at who the Lord is, this is when the extra anxiety, this is when the extra friction comes. Our focus both have to be on the Lord. So how in the world does my marriage get healthier? You fix your eyes on Christ. 
It's not even focusing on how I fix that or how I fix this in my relationship. You fix your relationship with God and the rest takes care of itself. Because as we draw closer to Christ, we learn to serve better. We learn to love better. We learn to give better. We learn to sacrifice the way that he did. And as we're being molded into the image of his son, we love our spouses different because we're becoming more like him. And that's what he addresses in verses 32 to 35. And this is kind of where we're gonna wrap up this morning. We're gonna spend some time here, but read with me in verses 32 through 35. He says, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 33, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, meaning they're concerned about their spouse and how he may please his wife. Verse 34, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. Verse 35, listen to this. This I say for your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. You see what Paul begins in verse 32 and on throughout that little excerpt of passage, if you would, is that if you're not married, he's saying it's potentially easier to follow Christ. If you don't have a spouse, it's potentially easier to follow Christ because that is where your focus is. That is where your attention is. But what he challenges us here in a healthy marriage, if we are married, in that healthy marriage, what we should be doing is what the latter part of verse 35 says. Remember what he said just a moment ago? There's, there's conflict. You've got a husband and wife who's, yes, they're pursuing after Christ, but they're also worried about how do they please their husband or how do they please their wife? And it says their interests are divided. This is when the friction happens. So you say, well, how do I make my marriage healthier? What you do is you prompt your spouse to have their focus on him. You push your spouse to pursue a relationship with Christ because you have one who's pursuing and one who is not. One of them is pulling back at the other one and it's distracting them of where their focus primarily should be. And I don't know about you, but I can look back on my own life and I think back on how many times I am a distraction to my wife who may be pursuing after the Lord because I get selfish because I want her to do this for me or I want her to do that for me when ultimately what I should want for her more than anything else in this world is to prompt her to pursue God. And what it says here is that we should have to be appropriate to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Am I creating distraction in my wife's pursuit of the Lord? You know, I'm thankful for a wife who reminds me oftentimes of my calling. 
I am thankful for a wife who reminds me of what my duty is as pastor. Because what I'm about to tell you, you're probably gonna think, I can't believe he said that on TV. Listen, what he said on TV, that makes me sound like a TV guy, sorry. It is where we're at, but anyhow, sorry. But there's times in, in ministry that I get home and I'm with my wife and kids or, or maybe I'm late getting home and, and I'll get a text message or a phone call of somebody needing my attention or, or having to run to a hospital or having to run here or to run there to, to do what God has called me to do. And just to be transparent, there's days that I look at it and go, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. I'm just, I just wanna sit here. There's been so many times I've looked at my wife and said, honey, what should I do? And she'll look at me and say, Brian, what has God called you to do? I said, okay, I'll be back in a little while. But do you know why she can prompt me to walk in the calling that God has given me? It's not because she has this whole wife thing figured out. It's not because she has this whole pastor's wife thing figured out. What it's about is because her focus is on him. And it's her pursuing him, which creates a, a mindset that gives me the freedom for me to pursue him. No, our marriage is not perfect. And I know that's probably why she just put in the comments, amen, it's not. So Chelsea, please delete that or take that off if that's what you just put. But our marriage is not perfect by any means. But what God has really shown me this week just looking in this is when friction happens in our marriage, what I realize is it's not even so much that I've lost focus of her or she's lost focus of me but when the friction comes is when I've lost focus on him. When I've lost focus on pursuing my relationship with the Lord and my spending time in the word and my spending time with prayer, because when I'm not, I'm not being molded into the image of his son and I am giving in to the fleshly desires of who I am, which are selfish, which are prideful, which are nasty, which are want everything about me. But when I look at Christ and I'm molded into the image of his son, it makes me more like him, meaning that I love better, meaning that I serve better, meaning that I give more. But how oftentimes am I responsible for causing her to lose her focus? You know, verse 35, I love that it says that what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Are we providing an environment in our home that's undistracted devotion to the Lord? You know, the writer of Hebrews even references that also. He says there at the very end in chapter 10, and I think we read this just a couple of weeks back, but in verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Are we pushing our spouse to love more? Are we pushing our spouse to forgive? Are we pushing our spouse to extend grace? 
Are we pushing our spouse to show mercy? Because according to God's word, if you're not, if you're not pushing them to be more like Christ and you're pulling out all of the negative traits, you are causing friction, yes, in your marriage, but you're also causing friction in their relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be responsible for the shortcomings of my wife's relationship with the Lord. Am I pushing her to forgive? Because I can look back in my life, there's times that I've almost been disgusted with her forgiving heart. I'm like, honey, look what they did. No, you need to be more bitter. You need to be be angry with them. And you know what I've done is I've caused friction. And yes, it started with friction between her and the Lord because I'm pulling her in a different direction than her pursuit with him. But then what it in turn does is it causes friction between us. But ultimately where we wanna land today Our desire for our spouse, our desire for our husband, our desire for our wife should be, should not be. Man, I just, I just want them to treat me better. I want them to do this, or I want them to do that for me, or I want them to do this for me. But our desire should be, I want them to look more like Christ. I want them to look more like Christ. Because the more they look like Christ, guess who gets to reap the benefits of that? You guessed it, you do. Because the more we look like Christ, we're more forgiving, we're more loving, we're more apt to extend grace and to show mercy. And so I don't even really know how you land a message like this today. But I can look back in my own marriage, I can look at my marriage right now and I can see all of the friction that I even cause in my relationship or my wife's relationship with him. And so for that, honey, I'm sorry for I failed you. And so maybe that's this morning what it looks like. Maybe it's a time where you get some alone time with the Lord and say, God, have I caused friction between my spouse's relationship with you. But what I love about the father is he is so quick to forgive. He is so quick to forgive. So I would ask you this morning to spend some time with him. Let him expose to you where we have all fallen short in our our relationships. But maybe you're the spouse there that your husband or wife is not a believer. Think back to the testimony of Stacy. Don't give up. You love, you serve, you forgive, you show mercy, you show grace. And they're gonna get a glimpse of what a Christ-like love looks like through you. Use your platform. Use your platform. But maybe this morning your COVID-19's not been so good to you. Maybe that in the last 12 weeks, two months, ever how long this thing's rocked on. Maybe you have filed for divorce. I would ask you before you take that any step further, quit looking horizontally at what your spouse can fix in their life and look vertically at where your relationship is with the Lord. 
Look at God. Look to him. Ask him to examine your hearts today. Look, you've been prayed for today. The team here prayed for you this morning that marriages were gonna be, begin to be mended today. Because remember, we just sang that he's our refuge. He's our shelter. He's our hiding place. Do you believe that? He'll give you the strength to forgive because he's gonna remind you how much he's forgiven you. God, I pray right now. Lord, I know that this has not been a popular message today, but God, I am thankful for the unpopular messages. God, I am thankful that it all falls back and goes back to where we are with you. So God, let us be transparent enough to bow at your feet this morning and ask you to examine our hearts. Lord, I pray for marriages to be mended today. God, I pray for those who aren't married. Lord, send them that believing spouse who's gonna prompt them to chase after you. But God, in the meantime, I pray that they would chase you. And so God, I thank you for what you're doing right now in this moment, Lord. I sense that your presence is moving. Your presence is healing. But God, I also believe this morning that your presence is probably breaking hearts because your word says that godly sorrow brings forth true repentance. So thank you for convicting this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would all respond to it. God, have your way this morning.